Hey there, and welcome to the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast, where we focus on re-sparking your inner purpose using empowered action and personal growth tools. I'm Jayla Ray Ardeline, your host and late career Army Mill Spouse. I joined this lifestyle later in life and the learning curve was gigantic. Since the day I said yes to this relationship over five years ago, I've been collecting and curating personal growth tools to support you. So excited you've tuned in. Welcome to the Late Career Mill Spouse series. I coined this term because I wanted to find a way to recognize those spouses who don't have the typical lifestyle experience. For example, I met my husband when I was 25 and we were both on fully solidified career tracks already. Him as an 11 year infantry army officer and mine as a recent master's graduate in the creative nonfiction space brimming with excitement about the world of literary journals and publishing that I would actually never enter. Then bam, he dropped impending orders and how he had a big choice to make. Fort Leavenworth or Rome, Italy. Also, did I mention that he was divorced with a gaggle of kids? (laughs) Before I knew it, we were moving to Rome unmarried and I fell back into serving at restaurants, namely Applebee's, (laughs) quickly after the overseas journey ended. It took me years to find steady employment commensurate with my education level, and the fact that we moved every year for five years straight didn't help. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one with a similar tale. Many of us late career mill spouses had to make significant sacrifices to our careers, and some of us stepped into existing family structures as well. This means a ton of identity questioning as a result, and it often goes hand in hand with a complicated history with the military as well. In this series, you'll get to meet more spouses who fit this category. I believe there is power in sharing our struggles and naming why military life was difficult for us to adjust to. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody, Jayla Ray here, and we are back on the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast. And today I am joined by a very special guest as a part of the Late Career Mill Spouse series. Jenny Lynn Stroop is here. I'm so excited. Jenny Lynn is a writer, blogger, podcaster, mental health and recovery advocate, and the 2022 AFI Naval Station Norfolk Spouse of the Year. Did I get that right? That is a tongue twister. You did. Excellent work. That is a (laughs) mouthful. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So Jenny Lynn, let's dive in. So let me hear a little bit more about how you met your husband and kind of what your awareness level of the military was prior to meeting him and where you're at in your own life when you met him? Cause there's going to be a lot of like intersections that happen here within. So paint the picture. <laughs> gotcha. So, I mean, I met my husband as any good sailor wife does in a bar down in Virginia oh. beach. Um, <laughs> winning. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we met down in Virginia beach. He was actually had been in Virginia Beach for about a month stationed at NAS Oceana. It was his very first duty station. Um, And I happened to be out with my college roommate who had moved to Virginia Beach after we graduated from college. 
Uh, and I was spending the weekend with her and we went out and he opened the door for us that night. And then, um, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Here we are. Here we are. How many years we've we married now? 13, 13, 13 years later. Um, yeah. So when we met, I was a brand new teacher. I had just graduated with my master's degree um, and I was teaching elementary school um, and I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship with the person I thought I was going to marry. And so when we met, I was not, um, I mean, he was good looking and all, but I was like, dude, I mean, literally like three days before I'd gotten out of a long-term relationship. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just here to hang out with my roommate and have some fun. I'm not really looking for anything. I'm definitely not looking for anybody in the military. Oh like, my gosh, we have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> you like, hearing every point in this story. I'm like, yep, me too. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just started my big girl career. Like I just, you know, graduated my master's and was teaching and doing what I wanted to do. I had a house, I had a car, like all on my own dime. And, you know... 13 years later, well, <laughs> I guess the story was going to be different. That's how we met. That's where I was. What was the rest? There was more that you asked me. What was your awareness level of the military? That's right. Oh, so my awareness level. So I actually grew up in a very military area. I grew up in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, um, but I grew up in the westernmost city of Hampton Roads. And so the Navy and all of its things were that thing over there that I was like, oh, well, that's neat. Like that, I mean, it was just like a general awareness you have kind of growing up here that like there is all of this military around. But when I was growing up in Suffolk, not many military folks live that far away from base. It's like a 40 plus minute drive, depending on traffic. And, you know, nobody lived out there. So I didn't know anybody other than like, you know, the older generation, like, Right. Over to era, but definitely not currently serving. And it was one of those, like, you know, the radio would give the traffic report every day and 564, which is around Naval Station Norfolk was always backed up. And I thought, gosh, those poor people over there, that sounds like it really sucks for them. Like, <laughs> but I just never, it never was a thing that like affected my day-to-day -day life or that I had any interest in, you know, looking into. It's just that thing over there with all the ships that you saw when you left, you know, flew out of um, Norfolk International Airport, like you could right. see everything. And so my knowledge base is really little. I had an uncle who was in the Air Force, um, but you know, he had been stationed kind of all over and really only stationed in Virginia for a short part of his career. And so I knew that he flew planes, but that was kind of it. And other than that, like I didn't really have any touch points with the military. Yeah. Which I find so fascinating because, I mean, as you know, like once you meet a service member and it becomes clear that, oh, hi, this is the love of my life. I guess we're going to be together forever. Uh, we should learn about each other. Tell me everything having to do with your career, please. And you not understanding like hardly a word of it. And just like, wait, what is that? First of all, what does that acronym mean? You need to slow down. And secondly, I, you need to talk to me like I don't know anything about the military because we do, we did. You're telling me you have an awareness level because like of where you lived. So clearly mm -hmm. it was on your mind and it was there, 
but you don't need to know all that stuff until suddenly you do. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear a little bit more about like what your learning curve was like after getting into a relationship with him. And like, what was that like for you? Uh, it was a big learning curve, um, you know, and I think the longer we've been together and the, you know, the more seasoned I have become as a spouse, like the more I realized what a learning curve it was for everybody around me too. Um, you know, again, like my dad's brother had been in the air force, but like, it was not something that we dealt with as a family. We for sure didn't know the acronyms or, or even like what it would really take to be a military family. Um, you know, I am really thankful that now after about 10 years, we're stationed back in the Hampton Roads area and my parents are here. I've had a lot of support from them um, since we've moved back, you know, traveling for work and things, they come and they watch my kids, but like, this was all new for them too. And it still is like, we've been away for 10 years. Now we're back. And we're like, Hey, Matthew's out to see, I got to go to work. Like, can you come hang out with the kids? And you know, the, the schedules and the fast pace and the, 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 the unpredictability of unknown. Yeah. The, the, the predictable unpredictableness of like yeah. all of this, um, it becomes, it becomes so difficult to describe to family yeah. and friends. Yeah. You almost feel like you're talking in circles and like, and then you start to feel almost like you're making excuses for how hard it is. And then you kind of have to remind yourself and put yourself back in check and say, no, this is like so many yeah. of these factors are out of my control. And I'm just trying to describe how much of that is actually out of my control so that, yeah someone understands why I'm asking them to help me with something or why I can't go see them during this month or mm -hmm. why they can't mm -hmm. come here during this month or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Well, then for us, like, I mean, when Matthew and I met, he was a junior enlisted sailor on shore duty. So he basically worked shift work. You know, he had the early shift. He got off at two he and his buddies, he would wrangle a bunch of other, you know, junior sailors and to come out to my school to volunteer, like with my class. And so we had a very like nice and easy, like you work shift work, I teach. Like, you know, we had a pretty consistent routine. And since that very first duty station, we have never had another, another one that looked anything even remotely as like serene and consistent as that one was so trying to explain why it looked like that at the beginning and right. it has never looked like that again um has also been a huge learning curve for me in trying to explain it yeah and also for everybody else in trying to digest well like what's happening I mean when you guys met like he even volunteered with you all the time and I'm like yeah he was a E1 like on shift work, <laughs> like, and now he's not. <laughs> <laughs> and now things are different. So yeah. the dynamic changed. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's the other thing about not understanding how, I don't know, how service members move up in the ranks or how like promotions work or how mm -hmm. career shifts work within the military. 
those are all huge learning curves too. And I, I still struggle describing that to people. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. You know, he, when we first met, he was just promoted to major. So like, Oh, four ranking in the army. So like people would say that to me, he's in Oh, four. And I'd be like, I don't know what the F that means. Why are you saying it to me like that? Like I should be proud of it or something because I'm not really sure what that is supposed to mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then obviously like, you know, veterans and like ex-service members and stuff like that I was working with, they had a lot of questions about what he did too. I'm like, he's an infantry officer. I don't know what he does. Mm -hmm. um, but then he also made a huge career shift about a year, year and a half into our relationship to become a foreign area officer. I had no idea how to explain that to people. I still don't under, I still don't know how to explain to people what it is that he does. I <laughs> feel like I only describe about 30% of his actual role and miss, you know, the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes we get down on ourselves as spouses if we don't know all of those answers, but like, do you really know, does anybody really know all the things their spouse does at work? Like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, probably not. Like we're all probably describing 30 to 50%. And especially if you're in a military community, I mean, I don't know any of those words you just said either. So I don't know what that means, but like, I mean, with my own spouse's career, there's a portion that he has to keep Right. Like yeah. it, it's a security level thing that I'm never going to know what he does and go, oh, well, all right, cool. Yeah. And there's always, there's always like a small, well, for some people it's a large percentage, but you know, I think for us, it's like a small percentage that like we, yeah, we don't know. And, mm -hmm. and anytime you tell a friend or a family member that you don't know, oh my gosh, the assumptions that start flying about what they do in the military is hilarious. Like suddenly, <laughs> suddenly he's Jason Bourne. Suddenly mm -hmm. he actually works for the CIA and isn't working for the military at all. Suddenly, like just, That's oh my gosh. Yeah, all of the sensationalized ideas of what we have about what it means to do like secretive things in the military. I'm just like, oh my gosh, just because he can't share 15% right. of what he does doesn't mean because it's a secret operative. It just means that it's privileged information to only people who need to know it. And we that are not those people. Assumption. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you, sir, certainly aren't that person either. <laughs> you don't need to know that. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that as you were talking, I was thinking like, oh man, all of the assumptions of military life, like probably ones that I held to before being indoctrinated into this life but like right before my husband deployed on his first carrier deployment k jewelers put out this commercial for valentine's day where basically i mean in old school language it was vtc video teleconference they basically had a commercial where there was a pilot who got to vtc with his spouse and their son gave his spouse like a K jeweler's box for Valentine's day with a necklace, you know, and they're on this VTC, like, and she's like, Oh, thank you so much. You know? And there's like, you know, operatives going on in the back of his, like, anyway, came out like right before Matthew deployed. 
and he deploys and they're like well I mean you're gonna get to like see him right and I was like yeah that's not real <laughs> like that's a commercial I will get to see him when this ship pulls into a port somewhere and he can go to an internet cafe and queue up wi-fi on his phone like nope he's not video tele teleconferencing me from the ship to hand me a jewelry box like that's not that's not real life like There's that's so many never it's not gonna happen about they're not gonna fly him home for the birth of our child he doesn't get to take an f-18 back to norfolk like that's not gonna happen um and you know and then he went from a ship deployment to afghanistan people were like well what ship is he on and we're like Afghanistan's landlocked. There is no water. He's going with the army, and trying to explain that was even more of a more of a thing. You kind of just blew my mind too. I was like, "Oh, wait, that is a thing. Yeah, that is a thing that happens. Oh, interesting. Okay, joint joint operatives. Yes, that is a mm -hmm. thing. Okay." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For mm -hmm. Yeah, you tell people your sailors in Afghanistan, they're like, "Yes, what ships you on?" And you're like, "He's not." no ships there and they're like what what uh, what what's happening and you're does like, not compute get a map we've been at <laughs> war for 20 years like <laughs> well i think the other thing that kind of um unites us too as late career male spouses is that when we do have those cornerstone military life experiences like deployments um for me my first deployment experience wasn't until just about a year ago uh when he left um i know that's not this that's not the case for you because i know what happened uh in early on in your marriage and like how soon that actually started for y'all can you tell me a little bit more about like what that was like for you to experience something that you knew was such a big part of military life and yet first of all you didn't ever see it for yourself because like mm -hmm neither one of us wanted to meet somebody in the military that is not what we were <laughs> that's not what we were hoping for that's definitely not what we were shooting for it just kind of happened that way yeah um so i never thought i would experience something like a deployment so what did that feel like for you was it surreal or was it like oh okay <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't think anything ever truly prepares you for what it's going to feel like to do that and certainly i mean again we met and he was a junior enlisted sailor on sh shore duty <laughs> he got to come home every night now for the navy what a lot of people don't quite get either is it's not really even the deployment that you have to like gear up for it's that they spend several months to a year doing these workup cycles and he's like home a week and gone two weeks and home 48 hours and gone four weeks and so you know we'd gone from like hey you come home every night by you know well before dinner like in fact sometimes you're making dinner because as a teacher i got off later than you like to this just in and out and not really knowing um you know, how those workups were going to shift and how all of those things. And so by the, honestly, by the time you get to deployment, you're like, dude, like, let's just do the thing. Like, let's just do like the multiple months at a time because this in and out is really, really hard. Um, and so when he deployed, I was 
eight months pregnant with our second child. We had a one and a half year old at the time. And so the whole thing was just like, I, I didn't really know which end was up. I mean, we had a toddler, I was pregnant and he was leaving for seven months and you know, we had a whole, like, there was a whole lot of life that happened while he was gone. I mean, like a whole new life, <laughs> um, you know, and so I had our second child a month into a seven month deployment. So he met our youngest on the pier when he was six months old. Um, and that's something that like, even our youngest is now 11, almost 11, you know, that I don't know either of us have ever like taken the time to unpack and gone, well, that's kind of weird. Like, cause it's just, it's just another military thing. Like that story is not unique. I mean, this is a very common military story. Again, definitely not one that I was like, wow, let's try that. Like, <laughs> Well, right. It might be a common military story, but because you spent so much of your life before meeting him, not thinking that you would ever have to experience those common military moments. Um, it, it's such a, I'm just, it's just such a mind fuck. Like, I don't know any other word <laughs> to describe it. Sorry, Jenny Lynn. Sorry. I'm a sailor's wife. That does not <laughs> offensive to me. <laughs> but it's just such, because you never saw it for yourself and you never really saw it yeah. coming. It's kind of like when those things happen, it it's kind of like swinging back and forth between oh this is common for other people in mm -hmm. the military mm -hmm. and therefore i have now joined those people between that and then swinging the other direction of i never saw this coming in my life and why is it happening and why is it happening to me why is it happening to us like mm -hmm. it just it's kind of like a pendulum effect almost. Do you relate to that? Is that like a good way to describe that? <laughs> I mean, I think what I was really unprepared for and all of that, and I have to say, you know, we, we talked about acronyms and we talked about like assimilating in the lifestyle. I am very fortunate that I have a husband that almost over communicates on that stuff. So like, I have a pretty good idea of what's going on with him at work. And I have a pretty good idea of like the who's who in the room when I go to a thing, because he's really good at that. But again, there would, no matter how many times people have had children while their spouses on deployment, like nothing prepares you to go through it until you do it. And right. it was one of those like, you know, the first several months was like, oh my gosh, I have a toddler and a newborn. And I was again, very fortunate to live in the area where I had family and support. And that was all very helpful, but still coming to terms with like, it felt very lonely. Um, you know, I was living with my parents. I had the, their full support. I was in the area I grew up in. I had a lot of friends here and there was still this like, something's missing piece that I don't know that I would have ever known what that was like until I had to go through it. Yeah. Um, and that was weird and it was hard and it was hard to, I don't know that I ever voiced it while it was happening. It has definitely been through years of therapy and, um, <laughs> you know, mentorship with other people that I've been able to go, Oh, that's what that was. Like, that's what that feeling was like I was lonely, mm -hmm. huh? Weird. 
Like, well, that feeling of loneliness, it, it kind of like spans so many other emotions that like get wrapped up in it. So I can mm -hmm. see how it would take a long time to kind of dissect. How did I really feel back then? Why was it so hard to process through this? And, you know, mm -hmm. why am I still processing through it? Or, or you know, whatever the, wh wherever mm -hmm. you're at in your mind after some time has passed. And that's one of the, I mean, I guess it's kind of one of the unfortunate things about military life, but also one of the beautiful things about it too, is that sometimes stuff happens that you don't really have time <laughs> to sit and analyze <laughs> and then because the then next thing's already coming your way right and then the next thing is coming and you know we talk a lot about like you know oh how resilient military spouses are and and all these things and it's like well is it sometimes it's like is it resiliency or is it if i stop to think and feel all of this i will crash and that is not an option right now and so therefore I've got to compartmentalize, even though I'm not, I'm not a compartmentalizer. Everybody who is hearing this right now, Jenny Lynn knows this about me too, because I, I went into it in great length over on holding down the fort, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm really, I'm really not like that. So anytime I've been forced to do that, it's been, it's just been, it's felt so momentous to me. And then I get pissed mm -hmm. about the fact that I had to compartmentalize and then I have to work through all that. <laughs> so it's kind of just a little bit of a cycle yeah. there. Fun little cycle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was like that for me because we did that deployment and six months later he deployed again. And it was like, oh. yeah, didn't even have time to come off of the first one and to like get back you know, get back into your own groove and to process everything that happened or for him to get to know his child that he just met. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause in that six months, let's be honest, it wasn't like he was home every day in those six months. He was still attached to a ship that was operational, that was doing more operational things. Like they weren't deployed, but they weren't just sitting right. there either. Um, yeah. Right. And I, I, gosh, I think back on that time and sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. And sometimes it feels like it was a hundred years ago, just the amount of like our first five years of marriage, the first time we went to any kind of like couples counseling or retreat, I don't even remember which one it was at this point, you know, they're like, so tell us about your relationship, you know, and four hours later we finished like the first three years of our marriage. And they were like, well, I mean, how long have you guys been married? And we were like, mm, four years. <laughs> they were like, no, but really though. And we're like, no, no, all of that life was crammed into that very small amount of time, which is now why we're here on your couch because we've literally never had time to process it ever. We just had to keep moving because all of those things were happening that quickly. Um, and again, that's something I think, you know, I, I wouldn't have known that prior to marrying into this. Like, that's not something that would have ever crossed my mind. Right. Well, and it's not, it's not something that you want to be a reality. I mean, <laughs> that's actually one of the things that I've, I've probably done a poor job at describing to friends and family is like, how much is packed in just to a six month period or a one year period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
by year two of our relationship, when we're actually getting married, I feel like we've already been together for five years. Like it feels <laughs> like things have been moving at lightning speed and also slowed down at the exact mm -hmm. same time, which makes mm -hmm. no sense. <laughs> and the amount that you pack into that time of like PCSing and just, oh my gosh, it was, it's crazy. It's still crazy to think back on that time and just, I don't even know if I fully processed all the crap that happened either. I mean, I'm a deep feeler and I don't, I don't know that I even went through all <laughs> like, I don't even know if I went through the whole processing phase. It's, yeah. it's tough to, when there's another curveball being thrown your way. Yep. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to chat about you with was the fact that this entering military life clearly had an impact on the career path that you were hoping for yourself. So I wondered just how many times you have had to pivot in your career since entering military life. <laughs> we have four hours or <laughs> three times, uh, no less than three times. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, like I said, when I met Matthew, I just started teaching. I was still paying off my student loan for going to graduate school right? and really thought that I was going to be an elementary school teacher until I retired from being an elementary school teacher because I had made that career. My undergraduate degree is in marketing management and I got a business degree because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And you can do anything with a business degree, except teach elementary school in which you have to have a master's degree and also a license. So, you know, that was shift number one that had nothing to do with the military, everything to do with me not knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, you know, and I went school teacher because I thought, oh, I can have a family and have a career and we would be on the same schedule. And I'd, you know, been very thoughtful about all of those things. And then I met and married someone in the military and I stopped teaching right before Matthew's first deployment because I had a one-year-old and I was pregnant with our second and it just was, he was never home and it was too much for me and for us as a family. And then after that, I did not work for several years because it is really difficult to license it everywhere you move. Um, some states make it easier than others. And thanks to programs like joining forces and some other things that are out there, like they're trying to make licensure not a barrier to employment. But I mean, it was when, when I was trying to do it. And also the challenges that PCSs bring that a lot of people don't understand is even though we are given allotments for housing that are supposed to reflect the market you're in, they often don't. And then it's all the other things where you might have allowance for housing, but we had two kids. And for me to go back to work, that was too like childcare cost. And it just wasn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I was going to be working to pay for childcare and not making any money. And right. it was like, well, then I might as well just stay home. And I, you know, I mean, that's a story I hear a lot. Um, 
from a lot of spouses because it just, by the time you add in the cost of relicensing and then childcare and then the job hunt, I mean, you're moving again. Like, what's the point? And so that was kind of my, kind of, kind of the model, our first PCS, our second PCS, both of our children were school age and I did get a temporary license. I got like a conditional license in the state of California. And I actually taught at the elementary school they both went to. So it was like the best of both worlds. There was childcare because they were in school. And also <laughs> I was teaching. When I went back to teach in California, I loved the people I taught with. I loved the kids, but I realized like, oh, this is not where I'm best suited. Um, by that point, I had done a lot of leadership things with mothers of preschoolers, MOPs, you know, some things with my church and I'd done some part-time work with the USO and just was like, oh, I really love education, but I really like being with adults. Like this is adults are where I think I, I prefer to spend my, my daily hours. <laughs> and also by that point, I had navigated a lot of mental health challenges for my family. And so, you know, I had done all of the calls for care and things for myself and my kids and you know for us as a couple and um really realized that's that's really where my I hate saying the word passion but like that's really where like my heart was was being with other military spouses and other military families that I would see really it started through mobs. I was a table leader and I was on the leadership team and I would start talking about things that I was seeing in my house. And the more I would talk about things that I was seeing at my house, the more other people at the table would go, huh, hey, can I grab you like after this? Hey, can we get coffee? Like, and I started becoming the person that got text at night that was like, hey, I can't tell anybody else this but can I tell you? And so I really kind of realized then that I, mental health was really important to me and it was clear that it was an important need in our community. Um, and so I, when the position opened at the current clinic that I work for as um, for outreach, I applied for the job and said, you know, I don't know who better to outreach for a military mental health clinic than a military family member who has benefited from good mental health services. And that's how I ended up here. And I am grateful that it is not a position that requires licensure. I am grateful to the leadership of my clinic who um, I've done the job remotely from day one because I was hired during COVID. And so I had to do outreach from my computer via Zoom. And so when we PCSed across the country, my leadership said, hey, like you've, you've done this all from the computer anyway. I don't see why it has to be different on the East Coast. And so at the moment of recording, I am still working remotely for the Cohen Clinic at BVSD. As the outreach person, I really enjoy what I do. I love building relationships within the community. I love sharing a little bit of my story and hearing other people's, and I love helping them get the care that they need. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Oh my gosh, I love how I ask you one question. You're like, let me fill in all the blanks for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
When I asked you about how many pivots you've had to make, I think a theme is what I'm finding with a lot of spouses in general, but also late career male spouses is that sort of turning over our original career desire Mm -hmm. is hard. Obviously there's a grieving process. I'm still grieving it. It's been years. It still upsets me sometimes Mm -hmm. that I even had to do that. Um, But a theme I'm noticing is that because we struggled so hard with those kinds of challenges, we then look outward to other spouses who may be struggling with the same things. In your case, it was mental health. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly we we turn our employment (laughs) into assisting other military families. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we're like deeply entrenched in our communities and in military life. And that's also not something that we saw for ourselves. So then it's just, it's just kind of shocking on all levels. It's like, oh, I had, um, at least for me, I didn't, I will just speak for myself in saying this, but I, I didn't really accept my identity as a military spouse for the first couple years. And Mm -hmm. I realized that that was, uh, partly a privilege that I could do that. And secondly, I, I know that it's a common thing that it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't know how to, and it's also new and there's so much that's fluctuating that it just feels very, it feels confusing. It feels confusing to then wrap that up, up in all of your other identities in a very sudden way. Um, but I never saw myself becoming a military spouse mentor just like you probably never saw yourself working for an organization like this or foregoing a a career in education and just dropping the whole, oh my gosh, it's a nightmare to deal with licensure. And now I can just do this. (laughs) How cool. (laughs) I know. Yeah. You know, I think it speaks volumes to our community too. I was very fortunate that early on um, the family readiness group of the the carrier that my husband was attached to for his first deployment was very active. And the leadership of that carrier and the spouses of those leaders were really involved with the families. And so, you know, we were like, oh gosh, that was 2010. I mean, we'd been married like a year and I was joined a community that was very supportive. And so really from like a year into this had great mentorship of people who'd been doing this literally like the woman I'm thinking of specifically, I mean, her husband like graduated from the Naval Academy the year I was born. So they'd literally been doing the Navy thing like my whole life. And so that set the tone for me and, and the way that I have been able to one, identify as a military spouse and to like live this lifestyle the way that I do. And so, especially in like some of those leadership roles I had in like other non-military organizations, but had a lot of military spouse members hearing the stories of people that did not have a great experience with like a spouse club or a family readiness group or any like broke my heart because that, you know, I'd been married a year and I had great mentorship and support. And that is something that 
realizing that foundation then made it something I've sought out everywhere else I've been and has also enabled me to be that for other people because I've had such good, solid friendship and mentorship in the community. And I think it's hard, you know, I mean, I was old, like we keep talking about late career spouse. We were just old. Like I was actually, I actually, <laughs> I mean, in military terms, we were just old. Like that's David, really where I know. I, I know that y'all were quote unquote old. Okay. But <laughs> yeah, like we, I mean, I actually married Matthew very early in his career. We were just old, all things considered by military terms. But I think where you were going with that is like, yes, your age was a factor in which you joined the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But you were also surrounded by people who may be the same age as you, but had been in the lifestyle mm-hmm. like for so long, right? Like that example yeah. you gave. <laughs> your entire life. I mean, clearly that person was older than you, but you know, it's just time is, I don't know, time, man. Yeah. But I mean that, like that foundation for me really is really what set me up. I think to be able to pivot in the ways that I, that I did. I mean, because a lot of the people that have been my mentors and friends, you know, also had careers and either chose to give them up because they wanted to be more involved in the community or continue to try and do both. And I've seen both work really well. And it just kind of comes down to like, what fits you best and your, you know, your personality and what works for you. And I think, you know, from a mentorship perspective, I don't know how many like young spouses listen to your podcast, but I would just say, I know it's really tempting to not identify yourself as a military spouse and, and to think, oh, that's just the thing my husband does. Um, but this is a really great community. Like it really is. I mean, and, and across the community, like I love that, like through the podcast world and through like the AFI and soy stuff, like I've gotten to meet so many people outside department of the Navy. I mean, cause that's really like, when I say male spouse, I am, I automatically am thinking like Navy spouse, but really oh. like, I mean, as I'm sure you're thinking like army spouse, like you're just like, that's what you, I mean, yeah, it's probably the first thought, but then the second like, one is okay. Correction, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, you're just kind of have it. And then you're like, Oh, that person is speaking a completely different language than me. And you're like, Oh, and there's just so much to learn. Like it's so interesting yeah. and everybody brings such a unique background to this and has a unique experience. And also there's such a collective, like, Oh, PCS. Mm girl like it's a shared understanding like you know if I hop onto a master class and I'm like I'm in hashtag PCS season everybody's like we're behind you we've got you yes you're doing great keep going you know it just that shared understanding and that collective Mm -hmm. that you're talking about yes we may speak completely different languages across Mm -hmm. branches and across roles within those branches and then across sub roles within those roles within those branches But there is this, there is this collective and Mm -hmm. I love that you're encouraging, you know, younger military spouses, like as they're entering this lifestyle to not reject 
that piece of their identity for too long. Um, I appreciate that I did that in the beginning because it, mm-hmm. it, it actually helped teach me what I was missing out on in a, in a hard way. Like it was kind of a hard lesson, you know, I clearly, I needed to learn it the hard way and I couldn't learn it the easy way. Um, but I love that that's your advice to them because this is an addition to your identity. Yes, Mm -hmm. because it's being thrown in, it is shifting other aspects of your identity around because your lifestyle circumstances have now changed. But the, the stripping away and like it's replacing something else. I think we, we think that it needs to be that and it doesn't, it doesn't actually need to be that. And if I'm not in a military circle, I'm not going to tell somebody that I'm a military spouse as like my first identifier. I'm always going to list off other identifiers first. Then as the conversation progresses, we might get into the fact that I'm a military spouse. Like, so I'm still not going to lead with it, but you best believe at this point, if I am in a military spouse circle or a veteran circle or just around my husband's friends, like that's the central focus and the theme of the conversation and it's comforting now to me it's of great comfort now it used to be something that i just didn't want to face (laughs) because what did that mean for you if you faced that like what did that why did you have to learn it the hard way yeah i think at the time i think what i'm alluding to is that at the time i thought if i accept the fact that I'm a military spouse, it means that I will never have a career and I will never get to pursue the amount of ambition that I have for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one of the things that unifies us as late career spouses is we often have advanced degrees. We often have a career track that we're already on at the time we're meeting our spouse. And then we need to make all these pivots and adjustments and unfortunately that can lead to resentment if you are not handling it if you're not <laughs> it? oh do you want to do you want to yeah. tell me what you said on the couch jenny lynn that one time because i'm sure that was part of it <laughs> no resentment to see here everything's fine yeah I, yeah, so I think that's what it meant for me at the time back then. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I if I accept this, if I lead with this, it means that I'm giving up this whole other piece of myself when in reality, it just, it just meant that I needed to make an adjustment, make a pivot, envision mm-hmm. something new. And, you know, like I said earlier, I still, I still grieve the fact that I never got to enter the publishing world. It still stings sometimes, but what I'm doing now is also fulfilling and I, I love this too. So, yeah. 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 Then I love that you talk about it as part of your identity though. I think that one of the things that one of my mentors, also a military spouse, um, always was like, Hey, have like multiple groups. You know I mean? She was really big on like, I love my military spouse friends and you guys can come over whenever, wherever. Also, I have a church group and I have a workout group and I have a this and I have it because I, this is not the only thing that I am. And it's not the only thing that I do. And it's not the only thing that I find joy or happiness or whatever in. And I think for me, when I 
I had a really hard time and come to Jesus with that when we PCS, even though I'd stopped teaching like a year and a half, a year and a half before we PCS, it was like that knowing that I couldn't necessarily relicense there and get a job and get the childcare I needed. I had a, I flailed hard. (laughs) I was in my early to mid thirties and I flailed hard and yeah, I've done some flailing. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. There was a lot of resentment there and it definitely caused a lot of conversation. And, um, you know, I just turned 40 last Monday. (gasps) Jenny Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like waiting for like the sink in of people like, yeah, you turned 40 and you just feel so much like yourself. And I'm like, all right, any day now, any, any day, any day now, I'll feel wholly like myself. It'll be awesome. However, that being said, I mean, I am great at pivoting and reinventing and figuring out something that'll work in this season. I think that's the big thing about being a military spouse is all of this is a season. Like we're here for two years, (laughs) then it'll be another season somewhere else. Right. Right. There's, well, there's so much, there's so much change to like look forward to and to also anticipate and to get anxious over. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is part of, I mean, you're right. That is kind of part of like the reinvention and the pivoting that happens. And I mean, it's easy to say, well, that's out of my control and therefore I don't like it and I resent it. And why is this happening to me? But the other side of that coin is like, well, what can I do with this? What can I make of this? How can I help myself? How can I support myself through this and seek out the support that I'm going to need externally too? I mean, I love that, you know, that spouse was giving you the, uh, your mentor was giving you the example of joining different groups. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I have, you know, for example, at the time of recording, which we do need to stop doing soon because I have to go to the airport to pick up a friend who's not a military spouse and <laughs> and joint, she's being joined by one other person. And it's like, this is a friend group. This is a work friend group. It started mm. as a work friend group. And they're acutely aware of everything like military life related. Cause I share it. Um, but they're not like, they're not in this, you know, and they're, they're apart from it and they're separate from it. And it feels good to have people like that too, just like having people on the inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's so important and it, and it helps to, um, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about challenges we've had with explaining and describing military life to people who don't get it. Cause like you don't get it either. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's always nice to have people outside of the community too, because they, they kind of keep you sharp in a way. Like they, they ask you questions that are, feel kind of rudimentary to you in a way, but you're like, oh, wait, how do I back up? Cause I am 10 steps ahead in order to answer this question, but they just want basic level knowledge, like foundational knowledge. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to back up cause I never learned the foundational knowledge. I just learned, you know, five steps above that or whatever. So it's a, it's a whole thing. (laughs) You make a great 
point about being five steps ahead, I realize how often I just start talking and I'm like seeing people's face. And I'm like, oh crap, like I lost them about 15 sentences ago. You know, and that that is the other thing that's come out of all of these pivots is realizing, and it's really been looking at my own like family of origin going, I could have done a lot of things better to indoctrinate them into the way that this goes, even though I'm learning it real time too. Like I, and so I, in addition to advocating for military mental health, military family mental health, like one of the big things that I've found that I really enjoy is like, bringing civilians and into this community. I mean, we're surrounded by them. Like I live in a very military area and like literally every other house on my block currently is someone who's retired from the military, but that means all that 50% of the houses are not. Yeah. And it's like, we live in a neighborhood with some people who inherently get it and some people who inherently don't. And how do we as military, like community members, you know, indoctrinate <laughs> our community to how we live. And that's become really important to me because we are such a small sector of the US population. I mean, you and I represent 0.25% of the entire American population. Which is crazy because when you're on Instagram, for example, you're like, wow, this feels small. That's because we know all the same people because we well, love <laughs> but <laughs> Well, it feels... It goes back and forth, right? It's like, oh, it right. feels small because once you know one person, that person connects you to six mm -hmm. people, six mm -hmm. different separation. But especially when you're scrolling through Instagram and the algorithm is feeding you content that it, you know it's going to like, that's when it actually starts to feel big to me. I'm mm -hmm. like, there are so many military spouses. How do we all want to do the exact same thing online? What is happening? Like, yeah. <laughs> But it's true. We're only 0.25. Like that's so tiny. That's tiny. Tiny. Yeah. So being able to roll it 10 steps back or not being so indoctrinated into lifestyle that that's all you speak is an equally as important skill. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no. And you're reminding me too. I'm like, okay, I need to work on that. <laughs> I need to I need to work on that. And well, because when you describe what's happening to those that you love that aren't a part of this community, like what you are hoping for is connection. Like mm -hmm. you want them mm -hmm. to understand you and you want to understand them and their lack of understanding <laughs> over, right. you know, certain topics or, or areas having to do with the military. So it is, it is all about connection. So it's like the better you can you know, the better you can describe this, like it only improves, improves that connection point and it fosters more conversations in the future. And I appreciate you and Jen and all the work that you're doing in that area. Well, thank you. It really means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to a lot of us military spouses. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. We're happy to do it. All right. Well, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you online? can connect with you further and and then we have to go <laughs> no because you have to go to the airport i get to go like make dinner my husband's on duty today so we're probably getting takeout let's be honest <laughs> enjoy it <laughs> yeah. let's see find me online you can find me as the co-host of holding down the fort podcast at holding down the fort podcast.com and on all socials yeah linkedin twitter 
Instagram and Facebook at holding down the fort podcast, or personally, you can find me, um, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn with just my name, Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y space, capital L-Y-N-N-E, Stroop. So Jenny Lynn Stroop, just like Jay Ray. I have two first names. So it's the whole thing. We've um, bonded over this also. I know. I know. When you introduce yourself, I was like, oh, two names. I know. And when I found out that you don't just go by Jenny and it's Jenny Lynn, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, someone else in the universe. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So holding down the fort or Jenny Lynn Stroop. Both are on all socials everywhere. Well, thank you, Jenny Lynn, so much for popping on the podcast and I'll see you around on the internet and anyone, if you have questions for her about anything that we talked about today, I'm sure she's open to discussing those with you. I just offered your time. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. 100%. I love community. (laughs) Yeah. All right, y'all. Bye. All right. Bye. Um, You know, but that it's made me, um, what, like, what's the, what am I looking for? Um, Do you edit? Are you edit? Do you edit this or is all of this on? I have to to now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I was gonna I was probably gonna like mash some stuff together anyway so you can leave that if you want it's totally fine this is actually how I talk and how I think and I start saying things and I lose my train of thought and then you're so you're so articulate though because you're taking you're taking a question to a deeper level which is exactly what I would hope for on this podcast because I think you understand what it is that I'm like actually asking and maybe I'm not using the right words but then you're like you're filling in all the blanks so it's because I'm old. <laughs> uh, I love no. you. Oh my God. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome for that bit of mentorship advice. Find the old people in the room and talk to them. No. These interviews really light up my world, get me jazzed again about what it means to be a late career male spouse and what it means to support other spouses amongst this category. If you could please take a moment to rate and review the podcast in general or give some feedback about this episode in particular, I would appreciate it. And as a further step, please share the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast with your favorite male spouse friend. Let's get this podcast into the hands of those who could really use the support. As always, I'll be hanging out on Instagram at mill.spouse, and you can find out more information about what it is that I do at jlaray.com. Bye, y'all.